Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Hey, well, this morning, I would like to talk to you about living called. Living called. As Christians, what does it even look like to live called? What does that even mean? For one, are you called? Do you personally believe that there is calling from God on your life? But what is calling? Well, maybe the better question for us to start with today is what isn't calling? See, sometimes I think we get these misconceptions around what our calling is. And I think both inside the church and out in the world have influenced the way we define calling. So it's become a little bit of a gray area. And I really want to shut down some of these misconceptions with you today. So if you identify with any of the following, and there's a question mark over calling in your head today, I hope that we can eradicate that. So firstly, do you think of your calling and your Christianity as two separate things? See, if you're a Christian, that means you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. You have been saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah. Let's never dilute the miracle that our salvation is. If you ask me, I actually think it's the greatest miracle you will ever experience. But when it comes to your calling, do you see calling as something beyond that? Do you think that people who have a calling on their life are exclusive to people in ministry? By ministry, I'm really falsely referring to the fivefold ministries that are listed in Ephesians 4.12 as though they were the only kind. That's the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And sometimes I think that we think if I don't fall into that listed category, if I'm not one of the elite five, then maybe I'm not in ministry. You know, if I'm not a preacher up here on the platform or if I'm not a missionary over there in Africa, I'm not in ministry. That's what ministry looks like, right? Well, I love that Ephesians 4, in the same way, at least those five, shuts down any misconception we can have around that. Because what it actually goes on to tell us is that those five are for the equipping and the building up of the church for the work of the ministry. So who's the church? I'm the church. You're the church. Can you say, I'm the church? You're the church. That means you are called to ministry. So if we were to narrow calling down to just those unique five, being one of the elite five, being the preacher on platform, don't miss this. We have just disqualified the majority of Jesus' church from being called. We have to shut it down. Maybe you don't think of calling as ministry. Maybe you've always struggled to get a bit of a handle on what calling is. And so you more aptly identify with the way the world might describe it. What's your life purpose? What's your life meaning? What have you been put on this planet to uniquely do? If we were to put some materialistic parameters around it, if we're a bit shallow, we might actually see calling as getting my dream job. Is it climbing the corporate ladder? Is it being successful in your field? Does it mean having influence or impact on a large scale? If that's what calling is, heaven forbid, You're a Christian in this room today and you don't feel like you have it all together. You're not living purpose. You haven't nailed your best life yet. Dream job isn't secure yet. Ooh, maybe you've missed your calling. 
worse. Maybe you're not even called at all. It's not the truth. Here's the truth. Our calling and Christianity cannot be separated. To be a Christian is to be called. John chapter 10, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's the call right there. We listen to his voice. Verse 28, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. There it is. There's your salvation. He gives you eternal life. Do you know I love how personal Jesus makes calling right here in this verse. Jesus is speaking. He knows us. Then there's reciprocation. We listen to his voice and we follow. Your calling is far more about being in conversation than it is about your occupation. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus from the beginning of time. So what are we called to? A holy life. What do we do to earn it? Nothing. Your calling is not dependent on what you do. Your calling is completely, completely dependent on what Jesus has already done. So it's established. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are already called. You never, ever need to ask that question again. You never have to wonder, am I called? Have I missed my calling? Have I stuffed this up? It's not dependent on you. Calling is not your ministry. Calling is not your life purpose. Calling is not your job. Calling does not come from what you do. Calling comes from a person and his name is Jesus. And I just want to make this point right here that if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, you don't have to overcomplicate it. Just make today the day. Revelations 3 says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears, hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. So if that's you today, Jesus is knocking. And the only thing you have to do is invite him in. And that's it. You're saved. That's it. You're called. Do you know, even once we do shut these misconceptions down, even once we come into a point of clarity that I am both saved and I am called, does it mean that we know what calling looks like? Any like seasoned Christians in the room, have you like 100% figured it out? Oh yeah, I have, no. (laughs) You're saved and called, so now what? Does that mean somehow all the lights come on and you can see your future clearly, you know exactly why you've been created, why you have been purposed, uniquely planted on planet Earth to make a difference. Do you know exactly how you're gifted? Do you know your future start to finish? Oh, how lovely would that be? But if Christians, we did know how the rest of life panned out, we wouldn't need faith, for one, and we wouldn't be having this conversation today. I can just pack up and go home. As human beings, we really love instant Um, I look around our world today and I think just our desire for instant has led us into living in the most instant generation of all time. If you think about it, we have fast food. I think, I think Tam was going for the record for how many Maccas in a regional town. Um, we have instant stream TV shows and movies. We've got Netflix, Stan, Disney Plus, take your pick. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, 
Wednesdays, you'd go down to Video Easy and you could get those videos for 50 cents. Like we stocked up on Wednesdays. That was one of my favorite days of the week. It's been a long time since I've been to a Video Easy. We've got instant coffee, which I know Pastor Daz will drink, but I personally um, think that that's one example, that not everything instant's good. Uh, and we have Instagram. So in Instagram, you know, I can take a photo on my phone, I can upload it, and within seconds, any country in the world can access that picture. You know, gone are the old school days where you could just take a photo with film. So I think it's a natural response because of the way we've developed in our culture that when we hear the call of God and we say, yes, Jesus, I'm all in, I want to follow, we want to see instant results for it. We want to see it here and now. We want to see it yesterday. It's just not how it works. That's the world's way. That's not the kingdom way. Once we've responded to the call, it doesn't mean all the lights come on. It doesn't mean we suddenly know everything. It simply means we follow the voice of the one who does. Okay, I want to ask you guys, who remembers the Kodak camera? Yeah? Hey. I actually had a proud moment when I realized I'm old enough to not only remember the Kodak camera, but I had a Kodak camera. And I was super impressed to find, you can pick one of these babies up in your local supermarket for just $25. (laughs) Why take photos for free on your phone when you can get one of these? (laughs) So as I actually really love to capture the moment, would you guys mind if I take a photo today? Is that cool? So I'm gonna sit the mic down and on the count of three, we're all gonna say hot Sundays. ready to go again. When I was was 10, my mum went overseas to Scotland and I think so that it wasn't four crying bereft children at the airport. She had a going away gift for all of us and mum actually gave me my first Kodak camera. It was hot pink. I thought I was so cool and dad was just going for dad of the year that year. He took us to all the theme parks up on the Gold Coast. It was the best and I'm pretty sure I filled up that roll of film in about two hours flat. But I didn't really think that through because we were on holidays and it meant I had to wait about two weeks to get home to actually go take that camera into the store and get my prints. But I wonder if you guys remember what would happen when you did take that canister of film into the photo centre. It was Big W, Harvey Norman. Um, You'd hand it over but you still didn't get your prints then and there. You actually had to leave and come back a couple of days later because what would happen is that film would then have to go into a dark room to be developed. Sometimes following our calling, following the voice of Jesus, following his leading can feel exactly like God walking us into a dark room to be developed. A few years ago, I actually came into a season where I felt so on fire with God and I was hearing so clearly from the Holy Spirit. And I was, I can't say 100% convinced, but I'm going to go 90% convinced that I knew where God was calling me. I knew the call of God for that season of my life. I sought godly counsel. I was in unity with my husband about it. I had a peace about it. And so it was a bit of a leap of faith. I I made changes in my lifestyle, made changes to my job. I was so convinced this is where God was leading. And then things happened that year that I hadn't factored into the plan. It didn't end up looking like I thought it was going to look. One of those things was I had a baby. 
And suddenly, just 12 months later from my so-called leap of faith, where all the lights were on and I knew this was the call of God, 12 months later, I was out of all of it. All of it. I was at home with a baby on maternity leave. COVID hit. Gathering stopped. Connect group stopped. I felt completely stripped and, to be honest, a little bit shocked. I, I would just kind of started going like, what happened? Like that was the voice of God. I was following his call, calling. So why just 12 months later would I be called out of all of it? It didn't all add up to me. And actually in that space, as I was wrestling, I started to question if calling even existed. It was the first time in my life I'd wrestled with this question. But I went to the word. I wanted answers. And I found Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. You know, it answered two things to me. It meant that I couldn't argue if calling existed anymore. It wouldn't be in the word if it didn't exist. And it meant it existed for me. If I had any doubt in that season that I'd not only misjudged God's voice and I'd missed his leading, it also shut down if I felt that I'd stuffed my calling up, that I'd messed it up. Or worse, what if I'd lost my calling? But you know what it said? His call is irrevocable. That means even what I do wrong can't mess it up. I can't lose my calling because it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on Jesus. And that is the same for you today. We read earlier in uh, John 10, 27, no one can snatch you from his hand. You are safe and secure. So it was in that space where I did have question marks hanging over my calling, hanging over my future, but I was able to submit to the process of the dark room. And there God could refine me and there was stuff he had to work out and there was stuff he had to work in because what the enemy wanted to convince me was a dead end was really God's preparation. And if that's you right now, I really do want to encourage you. If you feel like you are in the dark room, I promise God is wanting to develop you. And beyond that, he has things in development for you. Sometimes we want to rush the process of the dark room. We don't like it, but God's timing is perfect. And as we sang earlier, he's perfect in all of his ways. But did you know that if you were to rush the process with Phil, when these pictures are getting developed, can't wait to see that in a couple of weeks, by the way. <laughs> that film actually goes through nine chemical processes. And do you know if you were to pull one of those images out anytime soon in one of those processes and it gets exposed to the light, it will be damaged. It will never turn into its full resolution. It, it's actually just only developed in part. So we've got to surrender to the process of God developing us in the dark room. Final thoughts, John chapter 10, verse three and four. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. You know, I fast forward to now and Trav and I have the complete privilege of pastoring Bendy. But if I'm really honest with you, we didn't see it coming. It was not on our radar. As surely as if my phone rang right now, I couldn't predict that. I actually can't predict when my phone's going to ring. And who's calling me? I don't know. That's out of my control. But if I was to pick up that call, 
if I was to answer the phone and Travis was on the other end, I would know him because he's my husband. I would know his voice. You know, it was the same thing with us pastoring Bendy. That's why we are getting to do what we're getting to do today and we're seeing God's blessing and favour on it. We didn't see it coming, but we recognised the voice of the one who was calling. And because we knew his voice, we were able to say, yes, I trust you, I can follow. And that's why we know that we can keep doing this while ever long he has us doing it for. You know, looking back, that dark room season for me was all development because God knew what was going to come next, even though I couldn't predict it. God uses it all. So no matter what it looks like for you today, wherever you are in that journey of your calling, today may be the first day that you realised you are saved and called. Or maybe, maybe you feel really confident in where God's placed you in life right now. Maybe you feel like you're in the centre of God's will that you have been purposed and planted and you're just uh, living your best life, that's okay. God leads us into those seasons too. Maybe you find yourself in the dark room. But this is key. Never make what you were called to greater than who is calling you. We just have to stick close to Jesus. That is always the key. You've got to make him your everything. And so that means that when the phone rings, When you hear God calling, you're going to know the voice of the one who is calling you and you will easily be able to say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow. Great act to follow. How good was Sarah this morning? Smart, beautiful, articulate, all of the things I'm not. But (laughs) I just want to uh, really honour Pastor Daz and Brian for allowing us to have this space this morning and just championing us all the way. They've been the most incredible support to us, and we love you guys. We're very grateful. Well, Sarah's talked all about calling this morning, and I'm going to talk to us about following. What do you think it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? I wonder what kind of image you get when you hear that phrase, follower of Jesus. You might think things like uh, going to church every Sunday, reading your Bible consistently, or listening to praise and worship music, or uh, Christian radio. Maybe a few of those things. I actually asked our Connect group a few weeks ago and someone said, having peace in the unknown and uh, trusting through that unknown but continuing to develop a relationship with God. And I thought that was a really great response. And I believe that all of these things are really good and all of these things are great things to do as followers of Christ. But I'm sorry to say that they don't actually make us followers of Christ. See, I believe there's a big difference between knowing Jesus and following him. A big difference between agreeing with his teachings and following him. A big difference even between coming to church every week to hear about him and following him. I feel like the term being a follower of Jesus is thrown around a lot in Christian circles, but there's such a depth to being a follower that we often miss. See, I would say that most of us here know Pastor Bron. If you don't, you should. Your life will definitely be better for it. We've uh, heard her speak and maybe we've had a great conversation with her after church one day. We might have uh, caught up with her for a coffee or might have sat in on a Wednesday night Zoom meeting. And through these interactions, we get a bit of a glimpse of her heart. We start to understand her a bit. We might know some of her traits or uh, some of her tendencies, perhaps a sense of humour, that amazing sense of humour that she has. That doesn't mean we're followers of Bron though, right? To be a follower of Bron, I had to wear a really convincing disguise and like sneak through the bushes so she didn't see me. (laughs) 
Now, I want us to understand that (laughs) there's a difference between knowing someone's traits and knowing their tendencies and actually following them. When we follow someone, we actually have to go where they go. We have to do what they do. It's a verb. Following is a verb, a doing word. We have to do something. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, from the NIV and on the screen, says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. See, to each of the 12 disciples, Jesus didn't say, Peter, watch me. John, know me. Matthew, understand me. Luke, I am your father. (laughs) I feel like preachers miss that opportunity all the time because he is, right? No, he didn't say these things. He did it. He said to each of his disciples, he said, follow me. He was telling them, I want you to come with me. Go where I go. Sleep where I sleep. Eat where I eat. Live how I live. Follow me. And for each of his disciples, this is exactly what they did. And so here's where I want to shift gears for a few moments and talk about one of the most fundamental aspects of following Jesus. And I would dare to say that this is undeniably tied to Jesus' whole purpose and whole mission here on earth. See, Jesus gave many instructions to his disciples and the people around him. He taught many things. He went many places, did so many things. But every single place that Jesus went, Everything he did was done in a way to move towards people and to call those people towards him and to call those people towards his father. Jesus went into some of the deepest, dingiest, darkest places and spoke to and ate with and taught and healed people from all walks of life, all backgrounds and all positions in society. And I want us to understand that Jesus' power and influence was such that he could have made a name for himself with the kings and the rulers of this world. But he actually chose to make his home, to make his dwelling with the kind of people that these kings and the rulers would often forget. Or in many cases, they would actively persecute. See, I believe we cannot separate following Jesus from moving towards and loving on the people that he has called us to move towards and love because that is what he did. We follow Jesus towards the people who need him. So in the time that we have, I want to bring us around just one clear example of what following Jesus looked like both from 2,000 years ago, but also practically for us here today. So we're reading from Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 to 4 in the NIV, and on the screen says this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see, you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, this is an amazing story. And I think there's a few things to unpack here. 
See, I want to introduce you to the concept of leprosy, not physically, but just the concept. See, leprosy is a horrible skin condition. And in the first century, if you developed what you thought was potentially leprosy, you'd go to the priests. And they had this whole practice that they'd go through to determine if you had leprosy or not. And you can actually read all about this in Leviticus 13. It's a thrilling read. It's kind of like one of those pamphlets that you open up at the doctor's surgery while you're waiting for the visit. You just can't put it down because it's so good. (laughs) So if the sore or the the skin condition that you had was deemed as non-leprous, you'd go about your life in a normal way and then you'd come back in a few days to be checked by the priest again. However, if they determined the sore or the skin condition to be leprous, that was a bad day for you. You'd be classed as unclean, ceremonially unclean, it says. Now, being classed as unclean is one thing that you absolutely do not want to be in the first century. If you're labeled as unclean, you are immediately an outcast. You have to move outside the town or the settlement that you're living in. You have to leave your family, leave your friends, leave your neighbor, leave your home, leave your job. And talking of job, if you have this condition and you're being classed as unclean, you are now the least employable member of society. You have no opportunity to earn a living. And you'll likely be isolated to a little group of people outside the city limits that have also been classed as unclean. I want us to understand that these are the kind of people that society is actively trying to forget, actively trying to avoid. If you ever walk downtown and you see someone walking towards you and you just like don't have time and they haven't seen you yet, so you might duck into the shop or fake a phone call and go this way. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> well, it would be like this for someone who's unclean, but on a drastically larger scale, except people won't just like duck into a shop to avoid you. They'll actively turn around and go the other way as fast as they can to get away with you. And I hope that this gives us a bit of a picture of the kind of person that Jesus is walking towards with the crowd following him. And not only that, but the courage and the faith and the belief of this man to walk towards the crowd, because the crowd's scary, to get to Jesus. That takes courage, faith and belief. So going back to verse 1, it said, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. I can see all these people coming down the mountainside. With Jesus at the front, they are following him, followers of Jesus. And they see this man with leprosy approaching them. And I've got this vivid image of Jesus walking towards the man with leprosy and the man with leprosy walking towards Jesus. And the closer they get, the crowd starts to get a bit nervous looking at this guy coming. They start, you can hear that muttering going on from like 2,000 years ago. And perhaps some of these people in the crowd following Jesus start to slow up a little bit. They start to get nervous. Perhaps some of them go so far as to stop and Jesus keeps going. And perhaps some further go so far as to turn around and walk the other way to avoid the man that Jesus is walking towards. And for us as Christians, as followers of Christ, here at the chapel in 2022, there's a clear message. We cannot follow Jesus and walk away from the people who need him at the same time. When we turn our backs on the people around us in need, we turn our backs on Jesus. I know this is heavy and you probably didn't want to hear this today, but this is the definition of mutually exclusive. You can't have one and not the other. Walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, and you will walk towards people in need. 
Walk away from them, you'll create distance to Jesus. The good thing is he's never too far off. But when we follow Jesus down the mountain, I want us to understand we're following him, followers of Jesus towards people in need. And I really wonder if I was in that crowd around those conditions in that society and knowing that if I caught this disease, I'd lose contact with my family, my friends, my home, my job, I'd be classed as unclean and outcast. Would I be and would you be the one standing next to Jesus to hear the words, I am willing, be clean. The ones who walk with Jesus experience miracles. And so if you're looking for a miracle in your life today, I double dare you to follow Jesus towards people in need. Double dare you. See what happens. And so in the minutes we have, for us here who call ourselves followers of Jesus, I want to finish with a term called the diffusion of responsibility. It's really just a fancy term for assumption, but I wouldn't sound very smart saying that. So stay with me. When I, when I think of this term, this assumption, I like to picture a bunch of people in a workplace and they're all going about their jobs and doing their tasks and even doing an amazing job of it, but assuming that it's someone else's responsibility to do a certain job like emptying the bins. And so because everybody assumes, no one does anything. And then when garbage piles up and spills out and it's questioned what happened, no one will take responsibility. Well, I am convinced that we need to be a church in this time who does the polar opposite of this. And I don't want to offend anyone or overwhelm anyone too much, but I think that we've gone far too long being assuming Christians. And I'll put my hand up first. Assuming Christians. We assume people are okay. Assuming that someone is good with God. Assuming that it's the pastor's or someone else's responsibility to get our friends across the line, or in many cases, get us across the line. I think as the body of Christ, we need to start seriously taking ownership, turn that assumption on its head. And I believe if we truly understand the gift and the power that we have in Jesus, we should be passionate about making sure no one is excluded and no one is left out. This may mean that, sorry, if I have a new neighbor, or someone comes into my life for a small amount of time. Let's call them Tom. Unless I implicitly know where Tom stands, I now assume that I'm responsible for Tom. I'm responsible for looking after him. I'm responsible, even if I'm the biggest introvert in the world, for pushing myself to have a conversation with him and love on him like I've been called to do. And when we stand before God one day, all of us here, and he's like, yes, you're here. And Bron's here and Sarah's here and, wait, who brought Tom? What, what happened to Tom? I sent Tom into your life. What happened? Well, if we come to that moment, let's be able to say that we did everything in our power or at least in the small amount of time with the small amount of courage that we have to get Tom on that bus. Let's do our best. Let's not be assuming Christians and point at everyone around us and say, well, I thought you had him and I thought that you had him and he went to church most weeks and I thought it was the pastor's responsibility and I thought and I thought and I thought. Loving Jesus and following him looks like action, even if it's overwhelming. Like we said at the start, there's a big difference between knowing Jesus and following him. Following requires action. And so with the understanding that this can be an extreme ask or it can be overwhelming, I want to encourage you with this. It is not your responsibility to outwork the change in someone's heart or to perform miracles. 
It is just our responsibility to bring them to the one who can and to love on them like the greatest commandment we were ever given. See, Jesus, uh, see, Sarah and I, sorry, have the privilege of pastoring the little town of Benamir with Jesus. And I could be wrong, but I feel in my gut that at this time in the little town of Benamir, we are not going to bring thousands of people to Christ in big gatherings. I believe that we are going to bring thousands to Christ one at a time by being the body of Christ and doing what he has called us to do, following Jesus towards people in need. One at a time, one person at a time, one person at a time. Love on them, follow Jesus one at a time. So for us here today, I want to encourage us to start with that. Start with following Jesus towards the people around us who need us, even if that's just the person sitting next to you or your wife or your kids or your neighbor, whoever it is, just one at a time. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to wrap. Daz is going to wrap. Well, Father God, I just pray for courage and boldness for everyone sitting in this room, God. And for as far as these words go, God, that you would bring courage and boldness for people to follow you towards the people around them in need. And God, we pray that we would look for the Toms of the world and they would find you through this body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.